Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11, covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is my co-host, Jacob. Hello. All right, Jacob. So we are tackling another phase one Marvel movie this week as we uh, make our way through the Marvel movies that we have yet to review uh, on Freaking Geeks. And uh, we're doing Thor, which, uh, you know, is a movie that in a lot of ways is divisive, I think, within the fandom, the people that, uh, you know, either you're a comic book fan and you do read the comics and you enjoy the MCU, or if you only know, you know, a lot of these characters through the MCU movies, seems to be a lot of uh, divisiveness. Um because some people see Thor, I think, as a really good phase one movie, and others see it as um kind of lower tier phase one movie. And I I'm actually gonna go in the middle and, and we'll get to all that in a little while, but uh, I don't really feel like it's the worst. It's definitely not as good as some others in phase one, and it doesn't come close to Iron Man, not even not even nearly close enough. To, to come into that area of how good these movies can be, at least at phase one. Uh, and in general, I think, really. Um, but Thor is a movie that uh, does have its fans, a lot of them, and deservedly so, but uh, does also deserve quite a bit of criticism. So what did you think when you watched this the second time around? Um. Well, I'm, I, I've seen it a few times because my wife is obsessed with Thor. She, her two favorite MCU characters are Iron Man and Thor. So anytime she feels like some Chris Hemsworth, Thor will watch both this one and then Thor Ragnarok. So she can get her quota of now, Thor. <laughs> now is she, now is she, now is she obsessed with Thor or is she obsessed with Chris Hemsworth? She actually both. She <laughs> likes Chris Hemsworth because, well, let's just say, like, maybe the shirt, the shirtless scene in in this movie is a a scene that she like yeah. hit hit the pause and go, okay, just give me five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I don't know about that. <laughs> just you know, because I I can see. Hey, look, I mean, the guy deserves all the credit in the world for that. Oh yeah, he's uh, a very attractive man. But like, yeah, I think as an actor, uh, Hemsworth has a magnetism which I can definitely understand. Uh, people liking uh, whether you're male or female, um, and I think his performances outside of these movies also uh, show just how versatile of an actor he is, and how funny he is. I've seen him in so many other movies where he's hilarious. So. I can definitely understand, you know, he's one of the most popular actors in the MCU for a reason. And I, and for I sure. think, you know, your wife, is she a comic book reader? Uh, not nearly as in depth. She's more of an anime fan. Okay. So 
Okay, so I'm the comic book fan. She's the anime. <laughs> so she comes at these movies uh, as as a fan within the MCU itself, movie wise. And then she'll ask me, hey, "Is that actually in the comics?" And then I'll have to explain where it is and isn't, and that sometimes takes a deep dark path because, as anyone who's read the comics, there's so many damn timelines and oh god it's trying trying to navigate all that is like you know pull your hair out it's just not worth it <laughs> you know you can really di- dive in deep on all that but uh it's not it's not something that most people are going to be interested in you know unless you're a hardcore comic fan yeah so uh all right so let's uh let's uh get to we'll, go, we'll do geek speak first uh before we get to anything else um uh, the only thing I really want to talk about in this uh, section this week is uh, I do have a recommendation. And um, there is a TV series coming out this summer uh, called The Rook. And I heard that this – okay, I, there was some trepidation whenever I uh, heard this, this series was uh, possibly going to happen. And I, I want to say it was about – a uh, year and a half, maybe two years ago, maybe two years ago, I heard that they were, you know, thinking about creating this show. And uh, the person that was uh, heading it at the time was Stephanie Meyer, who is the author of Twilight. So I, I'm not here to start a war with anybody who's listening to this who might be a Twilight fan. Let me just say I'm I'm not. <laughs> um <laughs> And when I heard that she was going to be in charge of bringing this to the screen, I was a little terrified. Okay, I, I was I was like, oh great, wonderful. So uh, let me let me first uh, let me let me first give you some background. Okay, the, re- the thing I'm recommending right now is obviously not the show because it's not out yet. Okay, and I, I don't even think there's a trailer out yet for it. But I do want to recommend the book, the book itself which is by an author um, whose name is Daniel O'Malley. Now, this guy, he, he works in Australia, and he either he still works or he has worked in government, in Australian government. And um, so he kind of uses his understanding of bureaucracy within government to um, good use in this book. All right, so let me give you a a general idea of, of what this is about. So this book takes place in Britain. And and I'm, I'm going to tell you the opening scene of this book just because, you know, it's not giving anything away. It's the opening scene. The opening scene, the opening words of this book paint a picture of a woman who suddenly finds herself standing in a park in the rain with dead bodies all around her. And these dead bodies have latex gloves. Now, she doesn't know who she is. Uh, doesn't know how she got there. It's in the middle of the night. And she reaches in the pocket of her coat, pulls out a, a letter, a note, and she reads, and it's from herself. And the letter basically states that the person who owned this body no longer owns it anymore. Basically, it's like the person who who was in this body, who you know lived this life, 
knew that she was going to lose her memories, knew that she was going to lose who she was, and whoever opens up these eyes now needs to understand that and needs to understand why. And I don't know how to paint <laughs> that any any clearer without kind of getting into anything, but let's just say this book has um, supernatural elements to it uh, quite a bit. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that deals with like government and maybe say, let's say some agencies within the government. Okay. And it's told specifically from the viewpoint of this main character who goes by the name of Miffany Thomas. And uh, I just finished reading this again for the fourth time uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, I, I cannot recommend this book anymore. If you are a comic book fan, uh, if you like any fantasy, uh, if you like comic books, fantasy, anything that deals with the supernatural, whatever, um, you will probably like this book a lot. Uh, it has a, a female protagonist. It's um, her... Her journey as a character is extremely interesting, but you also get an understanding of who this person was before. Who was this Miffany Thomas before that scene that opens up the book? You also find out that as well. Um, I don't want to give any more away, but let me just say The Rook by Daniel O'Malley. It's a book I stumbled upon. I, I Nobody told me about it. Um, I, I just stumbled on it in the bookstore, picked it up, thought it looked interesting, uh, and bought it, which I do sometimes. And check it out. Read it. I think if you do, you'll be pleasantly surprised by how good it is. And there's a sequel that came out uh, three years ago called Stiletto. So uh, that's a follow-up. It's very good. So, all right. Sounds anyway. Good. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. Uh, so Thor um, was released on May 6, 2011. It was written by Ashley Miller, Zach Stentz, and Dong and Payne. Directed by Kenneth Branagh, with a runtime of an hour and 55 minutes, a budget of $150 million, with a box office take of $181 million domestic, $268.3 million foreign, for a total haul of $449.3 million. And it stars Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Anthony Hopkins, Tom Hiddleston, Stellan Skarsgård, Idris Elba, and Kat Dennings, among other people too. But I don't want to talk. Don't want to like list more people. I mean, there's like like Agent Coulson, and there's just like so many people that you see in this movie who will pop up in future Marvel movies. So, um, uh, and and Jane Alexander, who plays Sif in this as well, uh, she's in it. So. Uh, the plot synopsis uh, for this movie is, after displaying arrogance and causing war between the Asgardians and the Frost Giants, Thor is stripped of his powers and banished to Earth. There he meets Jane and other humans who teach him lessons in humility. So, uh, what is your one-sentence review, Jacob, for Thor? Uh, intended to be an origin of the humanity of Thor... Tom Hiddleston's Loki is the shining light in performance and character development for this movie. So, well, uh, th that's a good one, and uh, it's not that far off from mine. So, uh, <laughs> that's funny. So, uh, mine is uh, Thor. Thor is an effective superhero fish out of water story, 
but suffers from some underwritten characters and relationships. But thankfully, it was all saved by Loki. That, <laughs> we that, are really close. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that amazing? <laughs> I mean, there are some things that they do work in this movie's favor, but let's be honest. Uh, when people talk about Thor, the first movie, um, they talk about Loki. And that's uh, there's a reason for that. Um, to, to the story's credit, and, and we'll get to that because it's not just about Hiddleston as an actor. The story here and the way it's told is to his benefit. And without that the things that this story does and the way it's uh, split between two different storylines, um, Loki isn't going to come across like he does in this movie. Um, so it's to the credit of the screenwriters, the actors and the director, uh, Branna, that they're able to create a strong character like this. So uh, we'll, we will get to that. And in fact, we'll just uh, get into it now. I mean, since we're going to go right into the movie and we're talking about the script. All right, so the script for this movie is, um, and let's talk about it. Um, so Jacob, I I was really interested to sit down when I watched this movie last week. Uh, I hadn't seen it in honestly in a while, quite some time. I want to say it was about five years, honestly, uh, since I'd seen Thor. So while I knew the broad strokes of the story and even mostly, you know, the broad details, there was a lot of little things I didn't remember and. Uh, watching this movie, I was struck by how they split this story up uh, to its both its benefit and I think to its detriment. So let's talk about the benefit. Let's talk about how this story is done. So the first 30 minutes of this script are dedicated solely to giving you the backstory to Loki and Thor as ch- children who then grow up to be adults. Uh, we get early on in this movie a very uh, clear-eyed look at Thor specifically. Okay, so Thor is arrogant. He's, I mean, he's he's not high-fiving as far as I can recall. He wasn't high-fiving anybody going down uh, to stand in front of his father at the throne. No, he was but, definitely fist-pumping, though. But like, he, was, he was, yeah, he was definitely fist-pumping, and, and I mean, I thankfully they don't have music there at least not that kind of music because i was expecting a rock soundtrack to be playing (laughs) as he was kind of making his way down it's like the entrance to like a wwe you know wrestling match or something um but we get a we get a clear-eyed look at at thor so he is arrogant he's 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 a cocky guy he um he's clearly you know the uh the the prince that everyone wants to be king and he knows it and uh, you could tell even in that scene that, that there are some reservations in Odin's mind about Thor, um, this lack of humility and everything. So uh, so the first 30 minutes beyond that are, you know, uh, people break in, uh, these frost giants break in to steal, um, I can't think of the name of the, the... They refer to it as the casket. The casket, right. Uh, they they come in to steal the casket. They are then killed, and this leads Thor to even against his father's orders to assemble his um um the other Asgardians that uh, fight with him to the go Warriors to, Three yeah the Warriors Three and they go to uh, Jotunheim to destroy well destroy them. They want to, for once and for all, they want to basically destroy this uh, this kingdom of of the frost giants. So they'll never 
have to uh, worry about them again. Uh, this leads to this big battle, and then eventually Odin is able to to save everyone there because at that point uh, they're being surrounded by the giants. And then uh, when they get back, that's when Odin strips Thor of his powers and gives him basically a big dressing down and then uh, sends him to Earth. He... he uh, there's a reason behind it though, right? So, you know, he's trying to teach Thor a lesson. And so by stripping him of his powers and sending him to earth in exile, uh, he then sends his hammer down there and then whispers that, uh, only basically only someone worthy of, uh, picking up this hammer will be able to, which means that until Thor is able to learn some lessons, he, um, he will not be able to pick this, this hammer up. So that that takes up the first thirty minutes of this movie. So this is an, basically this is a two hour movie, okay? And so the first thirty minutes are taken up by this, uh, basically the backstory more or less to the real core of the story, which is uh, him being sent to Earth and then uh, you know being encountered by Jane and uh, her crew, who hit him with a, with an RV. Um, and, you know, to talk about this script, it splits in two different ways. You have the Thor storyline. So we see, you know, him encountering Jane. You know, he's a fish out of water, so he's on Earth. He doesn't know how to act. He doesn't know how to, to, to talk to people. And, you know, it just he's, he's from a different, you know, a different world, a different realm. So, of course, he doesn't know how to, to deal with people. And then we also have Loki's storyline. So the movie is fairly evenly split, I think, between these two storylines. So you see what Loki's going through up in Asgard. He uh, understands, right, that he is a um, he has uh, bl- the blood of the frost giants within him, and then he learns that uh, he actually was a baby from Jotunheim. So uh, he he learns that uh, you know. Odin really isn't his father. I mean, not, not by blood. Um, and then, and then, you know, can you explain something to me? Because I, I did find this weird. I'll, I'll be upfront. I'm not a huge Thor comic book reader over the years. So in the scene where Loki confronted Odin and then Odin kind of just collapsed, did he like have a heart attack or did, he, you know, like I, I kind of thought, well, maybe he just had a heart attack or a stroke or something, but I, I don't really think that that is exactly what happened that, you know, he called it the Odin sleep, but I wasn't quite sure what to take there. If it was just, he was completely overwhelmed emotionally in that moment, but I did kind of find it weird. And, and to be honest, it took a little bit of the power out of that scene for me because like the confrontation was really only coming from one side and the other side was like, no, uh, I'm your dad. And then I'm just going to collapse here on, on the steps. Um, but can you explain that to me? Do you know anything more about that? Um, well, in the sense, it's more of a, it's like um, a time for him to regain a lot of his power and in a sense of like, he has a designated time, kind of like in the sense, like bears hibernate and the mentality of that. And, uh, that aspect and with this uh it was kind of also referenced he'd been putting it off and putting okay. it off so like he'd been 
put it in like he'd been growing weaker and weaker. And they mentioned it a couple of times. Like Lauf even said, you look tired. You look tired. You look weary. And um, even uh, Frigga said that he'd been putting it off for so long that it wasn't in the sense of like a heart attack. It was just the fact that like he's he was already so weakened by putting this off because waiting for somebody to be king while he was doing this. He. You're just already having a huge confrontation with one son. The second one just finally put him on the ground, like just exhausted him to such an extent. Um, yeah, but like a lot of it is just he does it every so often to kind of regain some power. Mm-hmm. I don't remember where he originally started to like. At what point he's like, oh, this is how I can make sure I live longer and get more power and stuff like that. But it's more of a recuperation for him to for everything he needs. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Well, I think, you know, um, that aside, uh, this whole storyline with Loki is um, one of the best things about the movie. Right, so if you look at the Marvel movies, especially early on, and I'd say even up through most of Phase Two, um, a, a complaint and a valid one has always been that the villain is always underwritten. Um, they're just an afterthought. They're they're meant to provide an obstacle for the hero, which of course is what they are. But because they're so underwritten and they're so thin, um as characters, then it's to the detriment of the movie, right? Because there's so much time is spent on the, on the hero. And so little time is spent on the villain that their motivations and having any kind of real understanding, any real complex understanding uh, of who they are. It's not there because they don't have time. And this movie doesn't suffer from that. It's something that I wished in a lot of ways that Kevin Feige uh, would have been able to learn earlier. Uh, that Loki is one of the most famous characters in the MCU and one of the, the most loved, even though he's, he's, I mean, he's kind of, well, he's not really a villain. He's, he's more like a, I guess, an anti, anti-hero or something. You know, he's he's Loki, right? I mean, you don't know what side he's ever going to be on. He's, he's a villain here, kind of. He's a villain in Avengers, but then eventually he transitions into not being quite so much of a villain, you know, and then we get to Avengers, uh, um, uh, Infinity War, and he's definitely not a villain there. So it's it's just it's Loki, you know. He's he's shades of gray, which I think is the point. And what makes him such a great character is he is a villain, he's a hero, and he's everything in between. And especially in the in between is where he he lives, and that makes for the most interesting characters. Um, and so I think to this movie's credit, they spend a significant amount of time on Loki just as much as they spend on Thor, both giving them a journey uh, to go on. So what did you think about that? And do you agree or disagree? I I agree wholeheartedly. Um, yeah. He, I mean, Loki's a trickster. Like that's his forte. Like he's not, he, he's not going to just stick to one wheelhouse because that's not going to be, the smart move. He's always mm-hmm. thinking, trying to think ahead. And like, that's one of the things that this always, 
this kind of shows like he's not just gonna go along because of solely emotional attachments even though he still acknowledges and has them it's uh yeah it's just it's, it's, i appreciated the fact that they gave him just as much screen time and it's one of the things like i know they were hesitant for future movies until i think they realized like it wasn't the villain part that was the problem and why some of the people had some people had issues with this movie uh when they get around to finally getting some other good villains uh but yeah it, it was it really helped flesh him out and he's such a just enjoyable character to watch on screen because it's like you 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 feel for him in some of these situations and some of the scenarios because it's like I, I you can't blame him for wanting to know the truth and being upset that he got lied to like no yeah. anyone would be upset in that scenario especially when you have in that world where you have Heimdall that can see all and everything or the supposed wisest king of all Odin but apparently not wise enough to realize he should have told him and I, I don't know like it was definitely like it, it was just such a very well done character and it's proof that up until so long Loki was the best antagonist that Marvel had created and that's why they were so good about using him in Avengers is because he was just he he's that just great of a character and great uh development on he's gonna side with the with the bad guys up until he gets what he needs and then he's like yeah now i don't really need you guys anymore so to save my own skin i'll side with them yeah <laughs> like, and it's just so yeah it's just and they do they did a very good job with that and i i enjoyed the fact that they gave him as much screen time i know like a lot of people would have been like but but we could have gotten more Thor. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah I just I really enjoyed that and appreciated the fact that they gave enough him a good quality amount of time to develop his character. Because honestly, if they wouldn't have the MCU might have been a little bit worse for wear up until later on. Because the Avengers may not have worked as well. Well, honestly, they they, they leaned into yeah. Loki a lot in the early goings here. After Thor came out, they really, I mean, they leaned into him with Avengers, uh, with Thor the Dark World. Um, I mean, Thor Ragnarok. I mean, pretty much any chance they had to make Loki a significant aspect of the story, they did. And there's a reason for that because he was, and even today stands, you know, among the best, if not still, maybe the best of the antagonists to come through the MCU. I know Thanos definitely makes a, a really good claim there and i would stand by that as well but yeah. you know the upside here for loki is that he's been in many movies i mean thanos has only been in one movie well i mean technically he's been in a in another like three one. yeah think. but they were like you know one scene that's it and and certainly not enough to paint him as anything but in terms of like character development thanos has had the benefit of one really good movie to kind of show his his uh his character and, and who he is and loki thankfully has had many and the loki we get at the beginning of um infinity war is a loki who has learned a lot over the years 
So um, that Loki, the Loki that was in this movie, never would have done what the Loki did at the beginning of Infinity War, and that is oh. that, that that's character growth right there. For sure. Yeah. Like that's, I don't know. And that's kind of one of the things that like, I kind of have issues with, with some of their later really good villains is they need to stop killing them all. <laughs> <laughs> like, Give them some more movies. Like let, like you got a good start of a villain. Let the villain grow. Like that's, why Loki is so awesome is because we do get to see a lot of that development. Like I would love to see Killmonger or Ego have gone a little bit farther. Like Mm -hmm. I get in some sense you couldn't for like Ego, but like, I don't know when you get some good villains, let the villains continue, let them grow, let them develop in more movies. Cause you just, you get some really good storylines and some really great scenes. Like we get in Thor Ragnarok between Thor and Loki and then infinity war at the beginning with Loki. Yeah, definitely. And you know, with this script, um, even though I, I definitely Loki is a strong aspect and Thor goes on, I, I believe if an effective journey himself in this movie and they do a good job with Thor. So let's shift over to Thor. So, you know, he gets yeah. banished, he meets Jane, and, you know, eventually they have to deal with, you know, obviously his lack of understanding of Earth, really, and uh, and everything. But it's still, he comes to Earth, he's still arrogant, he's still Thor. Uh, there's really no difference yet, uh, except he's been shunted to Earth, and he can't figure out why yet. And the movie does, I think, a a decent job. I don't. I don't think they do as good a job with his journey as they do with Loki's journey, but they're still pretty effective overall in trying to teach Thor some lessons and some humility, uh, which I think is the big thing. Um, but well, you know, I, I think it's. I think it just comes down to the runtime in a lot of ways uh, because you're splitting it between two stories. So much of it between two stories. If this was a two-hour movie with Thor only. His journey, I think, would have been a little longer. It would have, uh, you know, his journey to who he ends up being at the end of this movie would have taken longer, but maybe it would have also been a little more effective. I don't know that Loki needed quite so much as, as Thor does um, because his journey isn't to humility. It's mm-hmm. um, it's a different kind of journey for Loki, but, but Thor's journey is longer, or it should take longer. But he doesn't have the benefit of having another thirty to forty minutes dedicated to his story. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, it's. I will say, like, even though it 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 could have been a little bit longer for Thor, they did do a good job of like showing the parallels with some of the decisions he made at the very beginning that we saw of him just like, oh, even though this like Odin mentioned, this was an act of a few, not the entirety of the frost giants. And then him seeing like with Loki sending the destroyer, like it just kind of, I feel like they did a good job of helping kind of show that parallel, like him trying to stop this. This is not necessarily an act of war, but an act of him trying to defend other people and stop that. And so like, I don't know, like they could have probably 
you know, spelled it out a little bit more and kind of did a little bit of a slower build up to all of that, but, um, which would have been really nice to see, but I will say, I do appreciate the fact that they, they made sure they got that clear cut point driven home for him as a character develop, uh, development for him is this just, there are certain things you are not going to be able to do as an Asgardian, as a King, as a, a defender of Asgard and the nine realms. Like you can't just go around. Oh, because you feel like putting people in their place, killing the entire realm. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that even though, like, like I said, it definitely could have been and probably should have been drawn out a little bit more, given a little bit more time to, it was very well done in that sense of like mirroring that for him and showing him that, people are going to die if he doesn't do what he needs to and become mm -hmm. a more of a defender and less of a, I'm going to just be an outright warrior. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think there are some downsides, unfortunately, um, to this script. And uh, one of them is definitely, well, kind of everybody else. I mean, there are people that, that do have their moments. Uh, I, th I think, you know, Kat Dennings is, is a scene stealer in this movie. Um, she, she kind of plays the comic relief here uh, with the taser and some of the one-liners and stuff that she has. She's a little bit of a, a snarky attitude, which is good. It's, it's fun. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, everyone else, for the most part, is pretty much an underwritten character. And that, first and foremost, starts with Jane played... Uh, pretty ably by Natalie Portman. And, you know, Natalie Portman is a, a really good actress. I've seen her all, all my life pretty much just about uh, since 1994, uh, you know, when she kind of started in her first movie with uh, The Professional, uh, Leon, The Professional. And um, I've seen just about every movie she's ever been in, and she is a really fantastic actress. But here her acting chops can't save a character this underwritten. She doesn't have a lot to do here. And one of the things that really does not work in this script, and it's just a fact, is the romance between Thor and Jane. It does not work. It doesn't work not because the actors have no chemistry, which I think they have decent chemistry. It's because they have no time for this. They have one scene there is one scene that they kind of put all their eggs in the basket on this, this one scene where Jane and Thor are sitting around this fire and they talk. Um, other than that, they try to throw in a glance here and there in, in the early goings of the movie between the characters, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work because there's not enough of a foundation for this relationship, not enough scenes together. Um, and that's due to the fact that you have to split your time between Loki's storyline Thor's storyline, and then you have that 30 minutes taken up at the beginning of the movie, right, uh, before we even get to the diverging of the storylines for, for Thor and Loki. Where's the time for this? There is no time. The fact is, honestly, this movie could have benefited by another 20 minutes. This movie comes out in an hour and 55 minutes. If this movie was two hours and 15 minutes, some might say, oh, it's a little long. But that extra 20 minutes, if they find a way to devote most of that to the Jane 
and Thor relationship, developing it in such a way that I actually believe that these two have any real feelings for each other, um, that would be to the movie's benefit. But yeah. it's not. Um, it's not like uh, in Captain America, the first Avenger, where there's enough time dedicated to the the relationship, right, between Cap and Peggy to where when you got to the end of the movie, you felt the loss. You felt the loss of both characters from the events that happened at the end of uh, First Avenger. Uh, in this movie, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel it at all. And it's because, you know, she picks him up, they drive, and there's a joke in there. And then, uh, what? They have that one scene together. And after that, they're suddenly like, in a relationship or they're, they like each other or something. And I'm thinking like, this is not, I'm not believing this one bit. Sorry. It does not, <laughs> it does not work for me. What what are your thoughts on that? Oh no, I, I agree. Like I, I'm, that's one of the things I, whenever I remember when I watched it the first time and I watch it now, it's like, I really just don't care about the relationship. Like they didn't put any really enough weight into it to make it, care and also just like when he gets all upset at the end that he can't go back for it's like it's like dude you spent three days with her like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know like gee whiz guy come on like if you spent like six months maybe now now we're talking but you, you spent three days with her and and that's like a day and a half of that was, was just trying to adjust to your new surroundings let's not pretend that you know half you, the time she was hitting him with her vehicle right right he was like <laughs> he was suffering from concussions and, and other injuries so well, hold on. Maybe that explains why he's obsessed with her. He just he's just got a concussion. Yeah, he like... he got hit in the head too many times, you know, on Earth as a mortal. You know, it's 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 just it's bad. It's bad. It's I mean, I feel like, and I, and I feel and I feel really bad for Natalie Portman because you know she's not the kind of actress that generally, um, you know, does these kind of movies. Where, you know, big big budget special. I mean, she did Star Wars, which you know I understand, but. You know, ever since Star Wars, she really has stuck more closely to, you know, smaller movies, more character driven dramas, you know, things like that. Uh, she did do um, Annihilation. Annihilation, which I, I do like that a lot. But she's not someone that just hops into the big budget movies all the time. And I just I feel bad for her because it's not a, I imagine when she signed up for the movie, it wasn't you know, with the idea that her character was, was going to have so little to do or that the relationship between her and Thor was going to be cut down like it did. And, you know, maybe there was a lot more in the, in the, uh, before they went in and cut down the movie, but it, it's not, it doesn't do a service to this movie. It does a disservice really. And, uh, it's unfortunate really that, um, you know, at the end of the day, it feels obligatory as opposed to something to really invest in in this movie, unfortunately. Yeah, um, well, yeah they could have, like, that 30 minutes with them as kids with the exposition spot, like, that could have been cut down and reworked and done a different way. Mm -hmm. Heck, they could have done the whole battle scene with all of them as, like, a quick little montage and Odin explaining it over the montage instead of explaining it to the kids and showing all of that because I'm sorry. Why did we need to see Thor and Loki as kids that 
literally serve no purpose. I, I guess their their point was to try to outline how they were treated as equals as children. At least it seemed that way. And then as adults, you know, Loki was always at that point in the under the impression that he was the lesser of the two. Um I don't yeah. I, I agree. I don't think they needed to do it the way they did. I think they could have yeah. they they could have even done that, but they they didn't need like I understand that Loki let the frost giants in to spoil Thor's day, but they either could have just omitted that entirely or found another way to do it. And and yeah. if they could have shaved off 15 minutes of that opening, you know, 30 minutes and dedicated that to the, to the Jane, because that's really the biggest issue with this movie that I have is that that, that relationship is supposed to, be one that we're investing ourselves in and we're not. And there are other issues with the movie, but I guess none that are quite so obvious as the Jane and Thor romance. Yeah. Um, well, no, what could have been done or I would have enjoyed seeing a little bit better if they wanted to show that like Loki felt that Odin favored Thor more was show the fact that Frigga kind of favored Loki a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Heck, Frigga showed his abilities come from Frigga, and we see that in other, later movies. Right. Like, that would have been interesting. I would have been like, okay, now I see why he's getting upset. It's because he, he does feel like Odin does seem to favor Thor more, even though he's getting more favor from their mom. Like... Because that would have been more of a sibling-ish notable thing that would have been interesting to delve into instead of them doing the whole let's show Odin treating them equally as kids and then out of nowhere him feel disillusioned by Thor getting the kingship. I, I don't know. But yeah, well, I I, the I, look, you're, you're right. What I, w- what I would have done in this movie, if I was opening up and I was going to do the whole kids thing to kind of foreshadow the relationship as adults, you know, uh, I agree. What I would have done was I would have shown them talking to Thor, Thor showing the scene, like kind of looking them at them as equals, but then shifting to a scene where Loki looks on as, as Thor is spending time with odin and you know maybe he embraces his father and you could see loki in the shadows kind of jealous and then i would have shifted over to see kind of seeing the other side seeing loki go to his mother and and maybe enjoying a similar relationship there and in a way having having thor look on from a distance and seeing that so both sides kind of have their favored parent but at the end of the day Frigga isn't the ruler of Asgard. It's Odin. So yeah. ultimately, while Thor, well, with Loki, she has or he has that you know good relationship with his mother with Frigga, um, that ultimately, if he wants to rule Asgard, you know, or if he's going to be jealous, it's going to be because of the fact that Thor has that set up for him from the outset. And uh, given his relationship with Odin, uh, you know, Loki isn't going to stand a chance, even though he does have a parent who does love him more than maybe she loves his brother. So, you know, that would have been a nice to kind of set that up a little more specifically. 
but uh, ultimately at the end of the day i think the the 30 minutes it's 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 kind of neat in a way because it doesn't just thrust us into the story but i think it takes up too much time i don't need to go to jotunheim and spend you know 10 to 15 minutes in a battle sequence yeah i could have avoided all of that and you know why don't they sneak into jotunheim sneak up to the 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 king uh or uh, what's his name uh uh, Luffy, um, sneak up behind him and and with like a weapon to his neck or something, and then, you know, maybe Loki turns on Thor or something in that moment or whatever, and then then Odin shows up, and so that that whole fight sequence which was unneeded, it's not there, and it shaves off like fifteen minutes, and then we get to the thing that really matters, which is you know him being expelled from from uh. Asgard. So, yeah. Anyway, um, at the end of the day, I think, um, the story, the story with Thor and Loki, it's evenly split. And to the movie's credit, but it's also to the movie's weakness because not only do other storylines suffer, uh, other characters suffer, but I would even argue, like I said before, I don't know that Thor had as much time as he needed. It's an awfully quick journey to humility for him. I will say that. That's why I alluded earlier to the fact that I don't know that Loki's storyline, it's not like his storyline isn't quite so straight line as, as Thor's is. Thor has to go from someone who's arrogant and cocky and you know basically above everyone else to being humble enough to care about others beyond himself and beyond his own glory. Um, as as the you know god of thunder, so I think that um, part of the problem with splitting the story this way, or at least in the way it's split, and the much time is spent between each character and what they're going through, is that in reality, I do think that Thor needed more time uh, in this story. It does feel to me like his journey from being you know the the shining prince of Asgard and all of his glory and, and arrogance to somebody who's a lot more humble, it does feel like it's a little too quick for my tastes. I feel like we needed a little more time watching him coming to understand what he did wrong and to see, you know, the humility kind of actually happen in a, a not quite so, such a quick way as, as we saw in this movie. What did you think? Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. It definitely, it, it could have been, it needed to be a little bit more uh, to make it seem less force, less rush. Um, like, I, I do like the way it ended in him getting to that humility with the hammer and like the destroyer and whatnot. But I, I feel like a, another s- couple scenes kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm doing a, a little bit of a, a scene where he's seeing the fact that like not like there's just a lot of people that are in different situations, different scenarios on earth, like something to help kind of show that like there are people that do struggle. There are a lot of people that struggle on earth and probably a lot of the different realms and that kind of like, something to soften him a little bit to the ways of his arrogance. And that would have been, and it wouldn't have even had to have been anything long. 
just like a, a couple of scenes where each one could have been like quick scenes even i'll be like maybe as one of the freaking things that uh jane and all of them do is like when they're not working constantly is like helping in like some kind of charitable organization or something like that or anything to kind of show him seeing a little bit of the struggles of people and right. see that like it, w- it wouldn't have had to be anything long and it would have been really well done and really uh good to show him seeing that because i think that would have helped kind of get that transition a little bit more gradual instead of so quick no definitely i certainly i think seeing the struggles of humanity and uh and everything understanding that he could help people and it's not just helping with his hammer that simply showing compassion and empathy is itself a weapon for good and and i do think that's kind of missing here it's it's not just about what Thor can do with his powers. It's what Thor can do with his, just who he is as a person. And I'm not even talking about the deity. You know, I'm not talking about the God of thunder. I'm talking about just Thor himself. You Sometimes it's about looking around and seeing people struggling and taking it upon yourself to doing what you can to make that, that road a little easier for them. And uh, so I definitely agree. I feel like that's, something that this movie could have done and it would have been to its benefit. All right. So Jacob, what would you give the script for this movie? The great, uh, I gave it an 80. Okay. All right. I gave the script a 77. Uh, so overall our script grade for this is going to be a 78. And I think it's pretty reflective of overall, I think the quality of the script. I, I think it's a, it's a, pretty solid script i think there's a lot of good stuff here but i think you know underwritten characters and um maybe not enough time spent with thor on his journey specifically is is kind of a a weakness really of the uh the movie all right so let's move on to acting um so (laughs) i i gave the acting an 80 Mm -hmm. and uh the acting to me is it's good Okay, I mean, I think Chris Hemsworth is excellent as Thor. I think he does a really great job in this movie. Um, this is this is Thor, and I never got a sense that anybody else could have played this role. Not really. Um, I yeah. think he's that good in the role. I think Natalie Portman is great in what she can do. The problem is she has nothing to work with, so there you go. Uh, I thought Kat Dennings was a scene stealer uh, in this movie. And of course, Tom Hiddleston is is the he's the masterstroke of this movie, um, you know. But I think everyone does a good, everyone does a solid job, and or an excellent job in specific, you know, areas. Uh, I think Hiddleston is is universally praised. I think for his you know, um, portrayal of Loki, and then I think. Everyone else to a, a bit of a lesser degree. I think, like I said, I think Hemsworth is really good. And beyond that, I mean, obviously, of Anthony Hopkins, uh, who's always always really good. But acting, I'd say, is is kind of solid ish for me overall across the board. And uh, what is your grade? My grade is an eighty-five. I, I yeah, I just in the same way, in the same sense, like a lot of the same 
things you mentioned. I, yeah, I just, there, I wish some of the other actors could have gotten a little bit more of a, uh, chance to get their characters and get developed and act in those scenes like Natalie Portman, for example, and like the, a couple of the lines like from Odin were really well delivered and whatnot. Cause it's freaking Anthony Hopkins. I would hope that heck on a bad day, he would be able to deliver pretty much any line spectacularly. Um, but like when you get like Idris Elba as Heimdall, I, I would have loved to get him doing a little bit more than just the few lines he had. That was just not enough time. I don't know to, you got somebody like Idris Elba in there, like give the man a little bit more to work with. Cause he's, he, he's also just got some really good acting chops that went unseen here. Um, but yeah. all in all, I did give it an 85 because Tom Hiddleston, like you mentioned, Thor, I can't even come close to imagining anyone besides Hemsworth as Thor. Like, he He's just Thor. did a good job. <laughs> yeah. Like, he did a good job. Like, the scene where he freaking flung the mug on the ground in the diner, like, that's a Viking thing to do. Yep. Like... <laughs> Like it was so what like he did such a great job with just not just his lines but his body language and his actions to and same with Loki and Tom Hiddleston so uh, but all in all I'd give it an eighty five. All right, so overall our acting grade is gonna be an eighty two. Uh, directing, um, I gave it eighty four. I think this is a pretty good effort by Branna. Um, uh, I thought his style looked uh, looks pretty polished. Uh, the way he kind of shot. Asgard is was really nice. Uh, I will say, from a special effects standpoint, and just the way it's shot, I think Asgard looks like Asgard should. It looks very magical. It looks like the kind of place that uh, you know Thor and Odin and Loki would live in. You know, so I think in that they did a great job, and I think that uh, Branna managed to capture that well. Um, but I will say this. The problem in a lot of ways is when they get to Earth. I feel like the direction kind of gets a little less spectacular in the way it's shot. Everything becomes just, unfortunately, a little more ordinary. And that's partly to do with the color palette, which is a real point of contention with a lot of fans, especially of the Phase 1 and even some of the Phase 2 movies, in that uh, anything's set on Earth, and if it's not on, um, I don't know, if the actual location isn't, particularly fantastic everything looks a little bland now you could say well hey you know anything is going to look bland next to asgard which i would say probably yeah sure but at the same time uh everything just takes on a much more bland look to it i mean it is earth uh but i think even the direction isn't quite as awesome as is the stuff up in asgard and other in the the uh jotunheim yeah, uh, which I felt was a little more inventive, honestly. There are some shots um, throughout the story on Earth and everything that are nice, but um, but overall, I think it's a solid effort, and I'll give him an eighty-four. Sounds good. Um, yeah, I gave him an eighty-two. Uh, yeah, he did. He did a really good job with Asgard, and I think it, it really helped, honestly, with some of his Shakespearean background and. 
Uh, oh, there's a lot of that in, infused in this movie. Yeah, like it, there is just a lot of it, and it does show, and it's very well done, and he does a good job of kind of alluding to that. Because, I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of elements that Shakespeare uses that carry over into a lot of mythological stories and everything like that with Thor and Loki and whatnot. But, um, yeah... Well, and also, I think with like along with the color palette, I don't know why New Mexico was chosen. I, I don't feel know. like that yeah. in and of itself makes it lend itself to being a very bland tone. It's New Mexico, <laughs> like of all the states, like it's desert. <laughs> like I don't like. I get to help. I think it was meant to be a contrast to Asgard to show, but like. You could have done a contrast to Asgard and did like a heavily wooded area because there really wasn't that much in Asgard. Like, I don't know, get like some. Yeah, I just I agree on that. Like it, the, the tone difference is really weird. Yeah, that direction for the New Mexico thing doesn't help it. Um but yeah, uh, the Asgard stuff and the innovativeness with that. And I love the shot from like that they decided to do with underneath Asgard with the like crystals and the whatnot. And then it rotating around and above was really cool to see, especially for being an early MCU movie. Uh, I just I really enjoyed that because it kind of showed the bare bones and showed the some of the details with Asgard was just really cool, but all in all, there could have been some improvement or something different, better done with the earth scenes and tone. Uh, so, but I would give an 82. Okay. All right. Our overall grade is an 83 then. And special effects. Um, I gave it an 83. Uh, you know, the, some of the times the special effects are really good. I thought that Asgard overall looks really good in this movie. Um, but there are other effects that aren't quite as awesome. So uh, specifically, um, I thought the Jotunheim was okay. Uh, I think even just the, the Frost Giants themselves are okay. They look kind of, I don't know, they look kind of smeared to me. They didn't. I don't know. They never seem to be presented in such a clear way that you can actually tell what they look like anyway. But other than the king, uh, um, I can never remember his name. What's his name again? Laufey. Laufey. I can never remember that. Uh, yeah, I mean, he. you can see what he looks like. He kind of doesn't look that much different in a way from the Night King from Game of Thrones, but uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways. But, uh, well, they both come from places of uh, ice and winter, so um, I guess it fits. So, um, but the, the giant, like, at the end of the movie, the one that shoots, like, the, the beams out of its eyes, like, out of the helmet. The destroyer. The destroyer. Yes. It, 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 I was not impressed by that, honestly. I, I thought there was a, the scene where, uh, or the part where Thor gets smacked back, like, backhanded by the, the destroyer. It was, it would do, it was so laughably done. I mean, the way it hit him and the way he kind of came off the ground, it didn't even line up correctly. <laughs> it was not, it was not very well done. Um, yeah. It, again, some of the special effects are, are actually pretty good. And other times they're, eh, 
I don't know about that. So um, overall, I'm going to give it an 83. Sounds good. Yeah, I, a lot of what you said. I I gave it an 81, but like there there were some moments I actually really enjoyed what they did with the Destroyer and some of the effects, like when it rotated around on Sif, mm-hmm. like when she had the, her spear through it. I thought that was actually really cool and still kind of really well done of how it like show like they did a good job of showing that transition and some of that but like then there was yeah when he gets hit and some of the other scenes where he's destroying stuff is kind of a little hokey for (laughs) how it looked was like that doesn't quite look right but (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah, and then there was like certain aspects, like Asgard, for the most part, looked great, but there were still some things there that kind of was a little odd. Like it, you could very much see the the CGI and tell it was in contrast to some of the other parts of the scene and whatnot. So, but all in all, it was still had some really good parts and whatnot. So I'd give it eighty one. Okay. Overall, it's going to be an 82. And pacing. Um, I, I don't even know if I have to go into much. We, we've talked at length already in this uh, review about how, uh, given that the the storyline diverges uh, between story or between Loki and uh, Thor, that there it, it's it's good, but it's bad. Um, I think in terms of the events of this movie. It, pacing wise, it, it really is a mixed bag. Uh, there are stretches that feel good, and there's stretches where, honestly, I was kind of bored in this movie in in some small stretches. If I'm honest, um, pacing wise, it didn't really do it any favors at points. Uh, it could have benefited from, it could have benefited honestly from some additional runtime. It's crazy as it sounds. There are parts of this movie that from a transition standpoint just boom go to the next you know transition next scene like like immediately and some scenes should have been longer should have been stretched out we needed more information or we needed to expand on the relationship between thor and jane uh they could have cut some stuff out in the beginning of this movie which would have probably helped a little bit they could have had some stuff cut out throughout this movie which would have also helped um some parts needed lengthened more scenes needed added for certain characters' relationships, and other things needed to be, uh, you know, needed some judicious cutting. And uh, so ultimately, I'm going to give it a 75. Uh, yeah, um, I to the to the number I gave it a 75, and like we've mentioned up to this point, and like everything you said, it's just certain stuff just felt like it needed to be extended or certain things felt they needed to be cut and i agree on the there were like some scenes in the middle of it that was just boring like i just like and it didn't help like it probably would have been wouldn't have been as much if they would have given us a reason to feel for the relationship developing but it's one of those things that it's not developing so it's just it's boring to see him then try to do the relationship building when it's not really building (laughs) yeah it's even like the uh, even like the eric selvig character 
You know, like Stellan Skarsgård didn't have a lot to do in this movie. No. You know, he, he of course, he knew about Thor, you know, because, you know, where he grew up and everything, these stories existed. Um, but beyond that, like, what is this character there for? I mean, to care for Jane, to be worried about her, to, to go out and have a beer with Thor. I mean. To get drunk with Thor for some reason? I, I guess. I, I don't know. And, I mean, of course, he plays a, a bigger role in, you know, the next uh, Avengers movie, or the Avengers movie, the first yeah. one. But. It's still, it, it's just, um, I don't know. Like they, they didn't, they didn't utilize some of these characters in a way which made it feel like they were all that necessary. And I know some characters are going to have smaller roles, which is fine. But you know, be find a way to be effective with them and give them as much depth as you can. And I just, I didn't really find myself caring all that much about Eric either. I mean, Kat Dennings leaves a bigger impression on me with her character. Uh, Darcy than than uh, Eric did, yeah. So because at least her character is funny, you know. So um, yeah. Uh, anyway, but pacing wise, yeah, I think we can we can both agree it could have been a lot better. Yeah. yeah. All right. So our overall pacing grade is a seventy five because we had the same grade. Uh, rewatchability for me was a was a seventy seven, and. Um, Look, it's an enjoyable movie to sit down and watch. I'm not going to lie. Um, I can sit down and I can watch Thor. I mean, like, granted, I haven't watched it in five years until last week. But, um, you know, I, I think that it's it's enjoyable enough. There's enough enough good performances. There is enough depth. Uh, and it's told in an interesting way, even if it does have some weaknesses due to how it's told that it is by itself a pretty interesting outlier among the Marvel movies because there are differences in how the story is told here that other Marvel movies, you know, don't uh, try maybe different ways to tell the same the story. They try to do something different here, and I appreciated the effort. Even if the final product isn't quite as good as it should be uh, or it could be, you know, so... Uh, 77 for me, I can sit and watch this again, I, and I certainly enjoyed myself. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, like, with some of the performances, uh, from, like, just seeing Thor being Thor, it, um, Tom Hiddleston being Loki, is it, it's enjoyable to see and just some of the delivery that they give, and them ha- so you can tell they definitely had fun with their characters, too, so it was at least with these two big name characters it's always kind of nice to go back and see after we've gotten three thor movies and was it 18 marvel movies now and kind of go back and see loki at the beginning of it all and thor at the beginning of it all and kind of really witness how much development has happened between both of them but uh it was I would give it a 75 for rewatchability because it is also just sometimes it is fun to watch watch Chris Hemsworth's Thor go from being the obnoxious Viking to being uh, being who we see him as later. Okay, all right. So, um, overall, uh, my grade for this movie, if you tally everything up, uh, comes out to an 80. And your grade comes out to an 81, so it tells you how close we are. Uh, our script comes out again. Our script comes out to a 78. Our acting comes out to an 82. 
83 for directing, 82 for special effects, and 75 for pacing. So altogether, uh, that gives Thor an 80. Um, I never round up unless it's over an 80. It has to go past a 0.5 for me. I don't round. I round up at a 0.6 or above. That's how. That's how I roll. So I round down otherwise. So this movie gets an 80 uh, for uh, the Freaking Geeks overall score. So, you know, pretty solid. I think it's um, it's fitting. I think overall, I think it's pretty fitting uh, grade-wise uh, for this movie. I think it's uh, it's definitely got some weaknesses, but I think overall, you know, from a script standpoint, there's enough good going on there and a good uh, amount of solid acting and solid directing and, you know, also solid special effects to really recommend watching this movie. So anything you'd like to say for our final wrap up? Um, mostly, I don't know. Uh, not really. We kind of covered everything. Okay. I feel like. Okay. All right. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks for uh, listening to us ramble on about uh, Thor, the, the first Thor movie. And we'll be taking up, unfortunately, we'll be taking up, uh, I, I mean, okay, it's Thor, the Dark World is coming up next. Um, it's, it's considered to be among the worst MCU movies for for reason. So, <laughs> uh, I'll look out for that uh, next week as we cover Thor The Dark World. So, uh, look out for that one. And until then, thanks for listening. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks podcast. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash FreakingGeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. Now, if you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanage. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at Labyrinth Rose or at Freak Geeks. Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin MacLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin MacLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.